0: Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha.
1: I'm Josh Kalecki.
0: And today we're talking about Factorio, developed by the Czech studio Woob Software. It was released for early access in 2016 for the PC and then just came out in August of 2020 uh, in its full version 1.0.
1: Now, this was a game that I picked up fairly soon after it came out. I heard a lot about it in the nerd circles that I was running around with. I picked it up, loved it myself, and got pretty hard into it. But then, uh, just a little while ago, Brian picked it up as well. And I said, what a great time to revisit this game and uh, do a book club podcast on it.
0: Hell yeah. I mean, it, it really was pretty serendipitous. I think like a couple days after I picked it up uh, because I saw you'd recommended it to me. Um, it came out of early access into 1.0. So the timing was really good. As with uh, all of these construction and management simulation games of this type, uh, Josh uh, took the first uh, leap of faith and then I jumped in with both feet and got hopelessly addicted.
1: <laughs> it is a addicting game. It's very different in how you go about things. Um, it, it really is kind of like factory the game. You're constructing things, you're putting machines together that make more machines, and you do that over and over again, but the way they put make it happen in the game is a very fun way they do that.
0: Totally. I think you're right that the emphasis here is is totally on the building of the factory, and Uh, That's really interesting for the way that they present the game. Uh, We'll get into that in in just a minute, but I wanted to touch a little bit about this game's history because I found it really interesting that it actually came from an Indiegogo campaign way back in 2013. Um, (laughs) And uh, basically, the team of developers in the Czech Republic, actually, uh, headquartered in Prague, has been together since mid-2012. And to see this finally come to fruition, you know, eight years later must be really something for them. So, one, congrats to that team. 2 million copies sold as of 2020. And, you know, hmm. 2018 Steam Awards voted as uh, the runner-up in most fun with a machine category. So, <laughs> you know, clearly this game is humble beginnings from the uh, 21,000 euro Indiegogo uh, onto what they have going on today.
1: I want to know more about the Steam Awards. These categories sound a little on the niche side.
0: Well, they, they do new ones each year, and they just nominate... Uh, a certain number of games that fit into said category, right? So oh, okay. it, that isn't a, a category that's there every year. It's <laughs> handpicked for the year that we just had, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And one thing you mentioned too, when you were, when uh, when I, I think you said when I first recommended this game, you put it on your wish list, uh, but then you found out like you were, after you put it on your wish list, you were waiting around for a sale, but then you found out <laughs> somehow that this game never goes on sale. And that's like a mission statement by the developers. And you're like, well, not going to wait around any longer.
0: Yep. That's exactly what happened is I found out, like, I think I was just looking on Reddit because, um, uh, I like wanted to learn more about this game before I went to purchase it. And, you know, as most people do when I put something on my Steam wish list, it sort of just stays on there until I end up purchasing it. And this one had been at that number one spot for so long because it had just worked its way up there over time. And I was like, <laughs> all right, what's going on here? So, um having found that out, it was uh, a no brainer to purchase it after I found that out. And honestly, kudos to the dev for doing that. I think the whole like sale culture thing can be a bit pernicious. Like, value your game at what you think it is and hold to it. um You know, some people do need a sale to sort of drop, drum up. Uh, attention or something like that but you know when you have a game as good as this i think it shows a lot of confidence when they're just like yeah this is the price that we know what our game's worth
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. kudos to them for doing that too
0: but to get back about the actual uh game uh <laughs> all about the factory right i think mm-hmm. uh if we did four word reviews uh that would probably be this games but uh, unfortunately <laughs> we do do three
1: you got to be more efficient with your <laughs> word usage here and That's what Factorio has been preparing you for. Now, so in this (laughs) game, it's a 2D top-down exploration, exploitation kind of thing. There's raw materials like iron ore and copper ore, wood, coal, water, and you build different machines out of them to mine these things um, after you mine them yourself for a very short period of time. Start creating electricity and getting this... Gigantic world-spanning factory out there that just kind of makes the whole world a mechanical plaything.
0: Yeah, the, the interesting thing you mentioned on is like you start with mining, but then increasingly you're just putting layer after layer to make more and more complex things out of uh, what you turn the mined ore to. You know, you turn the mined ore into uh, plates of the given mineral, then you turn that into wire or. um gears, and then you turn those gears or wires into something more complex, and so on and so forth, until you have this endlessly expanding list of things that you created from this raw material that you have to combine and recombine into new, more advanced uh, components, which allow you to you know, climb up the tech tree and create more sophisticated tools and machines.
1: Now one thing I definitely want to talk about is the campaign for this game. I think this campaign did a fantastic job of introducing you to the game and the concepts and did so in a very interesting way I want to talk about. Uh, but there are five levels to the campaign that also serve as tutorials for the game. You get in there, the first one, your your spaceship crash-landed. You're by a big pile of iron and coal and you have to. it teaches you how to mine the coal and iron and cr- just get that ore into your inventory
0: so those first five that you're talking about and i think it's six actually those are just the tutorial the campaign is your first free play <laughs> but um <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> but yeah it, it is it is pretty cool the tutorial in this is so expertly in- constructed in-, in my opinion like you're you're starting off literally like punching a deposit of uh, iron ore and coal and you know event and then in that first one it shows you how to create your first component from that and then in the next one you start with basically all of what you just finished the last one with and you go into creating more uh, uh complex uh, pieces of equipment and and components and it just sort of builds like that and adding in things like the conveyor belts and the inserters and you know various uh, various aspects of what your factory is going to finally look like when all is said and done.
1: Yeah, I kind of divide the campaign, t- I call it the campaign still, the tutorials into three different phases. There's the, ind- there's like when you're crafting things by hand. That's something you can do from your inventory, and it happens pretty fast. So, that's kind of what you fall into, and uh, I don't just mean like the simplest things, but like you learned that you can craft assembly belts, and these little, um, these little robot arms that switch things from one place to another. You craft a lot of those in your hands, and probably around these... I think when I got to the third tutorial, I'd been crafting all these um, conveyor belts and uh, mechanical arms by my own, and then I realized that the automator factories they had set up at the beginning of the third tutorial the assembly assemblers yeah um, assemblers yeah the assemblers had been set up to craft these things i'd been doing by hand and then you <laughs> can just go grab like a huge stack of 100 whenever you're low on them and yeah. that was like the moment it like clicked in my head that boom wait i don't have to do anything <laughs> i yeah. should be lazy and let everything work for me
0: yeah, I, it comes to the point where like, I wanted to even just get get it somehow to the point where all of my tools just ended up in one, like, uh, set of boxes so that I could just go pick them up all at once. Like, here's where I keep all my conveyor belts, inserters, and, uh, you know, concrete walls, you know, assemblers, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never did end up automating the creation of assemblers, because they were simple enough to create. But um, I, I learned that lesson about not creating anything in my own inventory pretty early on when the game, like, immediately uh, after you have been handcrafting all of your beautiful conveyor belts and assemblers tells you, all right, now those are just an input to a research component. So you need to be <laughs> constantly making those or else you're not going to be able to climb your way up the tech tree. In addition to automation, uh, exploitation and exploration are are a very key way of uh, interacting with the game world as well
1: yeah absolutely Uh, the last tutorial you have is kind of like the railroads tutorial because you know your big pile of iron ore and coal that seemed so huge at the beginning of the game by the time you really ramp up production and get a couple of mining speed upgrades those things are kind of like chump change and you have this beautiful factory that's assembling everything you want you don't want to rebuild the whole thing so what you do is you find an even bigger pile of raw resources. You construct a little um, mining facility over there. And then there's a very cool train system that is a high-speed rail that can move massive amounts of goods at one time from a distant place to where you need it.
0: And they did a really good job showing you like a basic railroad setup with like fast inserters taking the resources off the train and putting them in a storage location and then storage location to conveyor belt that goes right into your normal mining apparatus so that you can basically uh slot in what would have been the input from your mines uh as the input from your trains.
1: I think that was the most impressive thing about this series of tutorials was how they showed you things could be done. Like um say you're in level 1 or level 2 It tells you you can do something you're like oh look at that um but uh you do it a couple of times yourself and then the next level you start off in a new abandoned base that's already set up and um it has a better way of doing that thing you were just doing um like brian's example with the train station um not only did it have the train station it kind of also showed off some of the Call it the subtleties of conveyor belt placement. Um, Ways to kind of manipulate that to get the result you want. Um, Because briefly, conveyor belts have two sides and it matters which side something is going down on uh, in terms of throughput. Uh, So it kind of teaches you here, hey, here's one way you can get that to work a little more smoothly. Um, But even earlier, like uh, it shows you how to, like, it showed me how to automate the making of the conveyor belts, and that was a point I realized, like, whoa, that's where this game is going.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool how how they do that, and sort of, they teach you the basics, and and that you should be continually improving your process, and then, you know, take the training wheels off and say, all right, now you go and show me how you can iterate upon this even further. And, you know, it's worth saying that this is a game with a fandom that has been playing this game since the mid 2010s, and we are very much tourists in this space. Uh, All of our most impressive creations that we feel like brain geniuses for are probably absolute baby shit compared to what is out there on on the true fandom of this game. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: There is an extensive modding scene for this. I was talking with my little brother about that a bit this morning. He's played this game with his friends for a couple of years now, I think, and he was talking about a mod that was adding even more complication and layers and raw resources and like a whole chemistry system and I don't mean like Breath of the Wild, I mean like legit chemical equations you have to solve for and figure out and Oh wow. You know, if this game's not complicated enough for you.
0: No, I think like it left enough untutorialized that a lot of things still did feel mysterious for me when I was going through it, like the whole fluid system um, was not tutorialized at all, really. And you had to sort of learn that on the fly. And I had a few uh, teaching teachable moments. Uh, as I made my way through that, and you know, my refineries got backed up because I didn't have the right number of inputs and outputs going into them. And, and basically, if one thing doesn't keep flowing, all of the things will stop flowing. So you need to have somewhere to like let off your uh, heavy oil if you're not making use of it. Otherwise, there's no pressure in the system to drive the rest of the items through.
1: Yep. Uh, the fl- whole fluid system is a extra bundle of complications on top of... Uh, a wonderfully complicated game.
0: <laughs> but it's worth it at the end. Like, uh, when I first set up my first uh, oil train that was going out into the, the desert north of the lake that I had uh, made my outpost on, uh, and it came back with its first, like, delivery of oil in my whole, like refinery infrastructure started up and started making you know (laughs) lubricants and things like that i was like oh man i got like a thing going on here this is cool
1: (laughs) you do feel like a wizard when something comes together in this game for sure
0: yeah it's it's pretty great and uh you know <clears throat> the uh, the fact that you can have these. You know, we we talked a little bit about making uh, conveyor belts drive things around, and your character driving things around. But uh, there's you know other additional infrastructure you can build too. But I want to camp out on that idea of the character, your avatar, the engineer for a little bit because if you first look at this game and just see like a screenshot of it you probably don't notice the fact that you have a character avatar in it it's not just a (laughs) building game which is what i initially thought it was you have an avatar that you're walking around with and this person is the one who's building Mm -hmm. um, all of these things and that for a management game can be a little bit unintuitive but when i first realized Mm -hmm. what was going on it was a, a huge like eyebrow raise moment for me
1: You know, that's a non-obvious design choice. Uh, You could easily imagine this game being like a SimCity, where you're playing uh, a top-down, omniscient narrator slash builder person. But everything's very personalized and focused around this one character, at least Mm -hmm. at first.
0: Yeah, it's one thing to have like an automated factory system, but it's another to start off as an individual and have created it all right? Like, mm-hmm. that is um, far more rewarding, in my opinion. And on top of that, they, they add other systems to the fact that you have this avatar that make it even more interesting. Uh, the inventory system is the first one I want to uh, talk about, because later on in the game, you create armor that you're allowed to put sort of tools and modifications in. Like, I had a personal robo port on my person. I had night vision. I had, like, a belt that let me not move when I was on conveyor belts so that I didn't misplace things that I did constantly.
1: <laughs> yeah that that can happen. Um another cool thing too is when you are going out to set up a new base, you know, there's different modes of transportation you can do. You can take your heavy tank, you can take your speedy race car. Uh that you have to go out there and literally explore this stuff yourself and get to the big pot mine and set that up yourself there.
0: Right. It isn't as simple as just scrolling up to the new uh mineral deposit or oil field and setting up a base there you have to drive your dude's ass out there and bring all the required materials to go build it um mm-hmm. and if you have set up something like a blueprint to um create such a thing then you're going to have a much easier time
1: now the blueprints in this game um they are ways to kind of save layouts of buildings uh or arrangements of i think it's anything you can build you can put in a blueprint And then you can copy-paste these blueprints, and it'll put a kind of ghost of the structure down for you to help you out with placements. Once you have your personal robo-port and construction drones, these guys will do it for you, too. So all you gotta do is plan it out, and you don't even have to place the things yourself anymore. It feels very luxurious.
0: Now I, I built myself a personal Roboport before I knew that that would happen, and so I had this personal Roboport on my on my character, and as far as I could tell, it was completely useless. And then the first time I created a blueprint and placed it down somewhere, and they all ran out and built it for me, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then immediately I, I started thinking, "All right, so I have a defense blueprint." Uh, I immediately created a new one, which just created a wall around my character and four turrets. And then I went over and, with the required materials, went to the nearest enemy base, plopped down that uh, turret plus defense blueprint around my character, and watched as it destroyed it utterly in front of my eyes.
1: That's really cool. That's not something I considered before, but, like, construction as combat.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, like, I ran myself over to a place where, like, I was on a cliff over an enemy base, and so all my turrets would immediately open fire on it, but they were rushing towards me. So I was like completely screwed if my construction bots didn't do the job in time. Mm-hmm. And I set it up. They started running. Construction bots started building the walls, and then the first <laughs> turret pops up. I load a clip in there, and boom, everything starts exploding. It's very fun. <laughs> oh, that's
1: very cool, very cool. Now, these blueprints, too, they're also shareable. They... Um you can share them with other people online and grab their blueprints because everything reduces down to just a simple computer string just like a sequence of letters and characters
0: hmm that's interesting that's pretty neat and uh there's so much you could do with like i only barely scratched the surface of what could be done with the blueprints like my my little uh portable turret fort was like i thought i was pretty creative doing that i'm sure someone else has thought of that a million times over but um
1: you get props mm. from me, at least. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it uh, it also just made, like, things that you find yourself building a bunch of times, like base defenses, uh, much easier. Like, I didn't actually build walls around my base because I wasn't getting attacked that much. I found the best way to just keep guys out is distract them. So I would just build, like, walls around a turret at evenly spaced intervals, and they would always just run for those first anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I always found the enemies would come from certain locations. Um, mm-hmm. So and as that would change it. Yeah. yeah. And you, you'd kind of, you would know where they're coming from, or you would quickly learn where they're coming from. So I never had to have like a base surrounded by uh, total defenses. I always knew where the choke points were, I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we've, we've mentioned these enemies a couple times here, and maybe it's worth talking about, um, you know, the nature of them and, you know, what, it, what actually drives them coming to you, which I thought was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. As your base builds up and it starts to produce pollution, uh, the indigenous population of the world that you're on, which are kind of, you know, basically zerglings if you played StarCraft, um, mm-hmm. will start coming after you. And, you know, they don't like your nasty polluting base in their verdant, or desert um planet and so they're like we got to take this this guy out
1: (laughs) which is an interesting thing um as the you take more of them out too they start evolving so they get harder and harder Mm -hmm. to beat over time and then the more pollution your base creates the larger groups of enemies get drawn towards you
0: and the fun thing about this is is you uh Continually research a host of new weaponry and defenses that you can use to to hold them off, uh, from your initial pistol to a machine gun to grenades, uh, rocket launcher, lasers,
1: landmines, flamethrowers, mm-hmm, all the different turrets too. There's, uh, it, do, it does get a uh, does get a little like vibes of tower defense with everything rushing. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like the combat was a good it was a good thing to threaten a base with and make sure you were providing these defenses and um, making sure that was a part of the game. It added some interesting strategic aspects to it in in a way, but I didn't feel the combat in this game was very complicated. I think there were only two, three, or maybe four different types of enemies.
0: No, and unless it like ramps up significantly in the later portions of the game, because it's worth mentioning, you know, I didn't beat this game, quote unquote, uh, meaning get off the world with the rocket you're supposed to assemble. But to the point where I was, I started seeing pretty significant groups of enemies, but I was usually able to hold them off with just some solid, like, placed walls and turrets, uh, just sort of funneling them into uh, an area where I knew I had strong defenses and away from my manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But... Mm -hmm. Uh, it, you know, it, from the looks of it, as your base gets increasingly complex in the later games, they would send uh, forces that would overwhelm, you know, the, the relatively simple things that I had uh, constructed and, you know, forced you to think more tactically about where you funneled them and what kind of defenses you had in there.
1: Oh, maybe. Um, I think you might have gotten at least as far as I'd got in this game, but um, it was always kind of a numbers game. Like, I felt if the if they got past my defenses. I'll add another couple turrets next time, and then that'll take care of them. Uh, Because, you know, your turrets chew through bullets quickly. Uh, They got a good rate of fire out there. A couple extra can make a big difference between um, a wave of enemies being wiped out or tearing through your base.
0: The real revolution in in base defense is that roboports, though, when you have uh, robots able to go out there and repair the walls before... Um, the biters are able to chew through them or the spitters are able to knock down your turrets, then you're in a much better place to let them become self-sufficient so you don't have to interrupt your train of thought every you know, five minutes to focus on fixing your defenses, which, as we said, automation is king here.
1: <laughs> That's right. If you're doing something yourself in this game, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> talking about the research a little more not only can you research cool new weapons for your guy to throw at these biters and spitters and people unjustly trying to stop your polluting factory expanding you can also (laughs) research things that make your polluting factory even produce even more things a greater variety of goods
0: and even greater variety of pollution
1: (laughs) that's right (laughs) Uh, that's right I've never done nuclear power but it wouldn't be surprising to me if you did have to dispose of some radioactive waste somewhere
0: yeah almost definitely I haven't done it either but um you know stay tuned for this podcast DLC where I'll explore the uh, pros and cons of nuclear uh, power it's almost as complex as the real world nuclear power argument
1: (laughs) by the time you finish this game you'll have a master's degree in nuclear engineering (laughs)
0: All right, I was only a few credits away as it is. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so the but-
1: research takes place at labs. The labs consume as their resources little colored beakers called science units or something like that. The red ones and the green ones and the gray ones all have a you get them at different points in the game. I think there's seven in total. Um, and the they become increasingly more complicated to produce. The first one, I think, just needs, like, some iron gears and some copper plates. Um, but, but then by the time you get to, I think, the third pack, the military pack, you've got to, like, throw together grenades, you've got to throw together walls, you've got to throw together steel. Each of those have their own, like, manufacturing trees and all of it. It is increasing, and um, it, it drives you to automate things that you weren't expecting to automate, like the walls for the military uh, science All of a sudden, you're like, I guess I got to do this now.
0: Right, right. Once once your input to a new type of research becomes the most complicated thing you've produced manually up until that point, uh, you realize that your manufacturing process needs to take a quantum leap. And then the subsequent moment when you realize that an item that only exists at the end of a complicated supply chain on the other side of your base needs to be input into the thing on the very other side of the base (laughs) is when you just sort of put your head in your hands and think... Oh why did I do that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Especially when you didn't know it was gonna happen in the first place. Um, but yeah, th- there's also things they do where they kind of throw off your inputs too. like for most of the uh, for the early part of the game at least, you only use coal as power for furnaces. but then all of a sudden these military packs, the grenades need a whole bunch of coal and that mm-hmm. might not be going through your manufacturing part at all. so you got to figure out how to rewire things in unexpected ways because you didn't know you were going to be needing a coal belt coming in right. through here.
0: Right. Uh, basically, a raw material going into the very end of a complicated uh, supply chain uh, as sort of a, an ancillary thing that you wouldn't have expected to need it that far down the line. It's pretty neat and it, uh, it makes you sort of think on your feet and think of ways you can sort of jury-rig your system or... Uh, make up a a very sneaky solution to like mainline it through the base maybe ducking it under a few different conveyor belts with an underground passage or something like that (laughs) or you just uh, cheat the whole thing and set up a train to take it over there for you (laughs) how
1: far away was your was your base the other side of the base
0: (laughs) my my whole base and i'm probably revealing how much of an idiot i was setting this up but uh, my entire base was basically like a straight line between two lakes and mm-hmm. I, I'm getting to the point where I've, you know, I've, I've made, like, manufacturing posts for all, or for six of the seven uh, tech trees. So I have, like, a base that it's functional up until that point, but if they, like, find a way to fuck me over on that last uh, flask, <laughs> I'm, I'm in big trouble. Because that whole area between those two lakes is pretty full now, and I'm going to have trouble, like, winding something unexpected through it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you do have to wind a lot of things through there. Um, You have your belts that carry the basic goods around there. Good old belts. I'm a belt fan. Other people like different things. Um, You have your rails. As in drones. You have your drones. Drones are kind of like, they don't need any space on the ground, but they do need substantial infrastructure around them. But you can have like a drone delivery system. Uh, Beats the pants off of anything Amazon does these days. (laughs) You have the trains that are kind of like good for long range transport. Although, of course, that's another system to monitor and keep track of and learn the railway signals so that things don't go crashing into each other.
0: I've Um, only caused one large scale train crash in my, you know, 40 or so hours with this game. And for that, I'm very proud. (laughs) There you go.
1: But then you also have the pipes in the fluids that you gotta go around, and like Brian said, you can't let any th- one thing back up; otherwise, the whole thing shuts down. Now, I found the fluids to be one of the more—I don't want to say annoying—I don't—I th- don't feel like it was annoying, but um, like the belts and the train tracks, you can all cross over; just don't cross over while the train's coming straight at you. Uh, but the pipes, you can't really walk through it all so that adds an additional challenge to how you're planning things out
0: they did allow you to create underground pipes in a much longer form than they did the, the underground belts which i liked um and i think the more unintuitive thing about the pipes was you can clearly see when a belt is backed up by it's you know all the pieces on it are no longer moving uh, pipes you have a much less clear or must much less apparent visual indicator on whether or not things are flowing through that pipe
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and at a certain point just the pipe to to me the fluid system is just like make sure you're maintaining supply and then let the rest of the things take care of themselves because uh it was it was a little too hard for me to game like just in time fluid delivery so i was just like all right fluid's going to be the constant here and everything else is going to be the hard part So I always overbuilt my fluid systems. (laughs) Yeah, I got
1: you. Fluid can be a huge bottleneck because I'd say once you get to the fluids, you're probably at roughly the halfway point of the game. This is coming from someone who's never beaten it themselves. But once you have an effective fluid system up and running, um, a lot of the key late-game materials, or even mid-game materials, the red circuits, the blue circuits, plastics, uh, all of those require things from the fluid system. In order to construct them.
0: Yeah, and and like I said, if you're not like constantly mousing over those pipes to make sure that they're sort of topped off, you just kind of want to have it take care of itself. And in my opinion, and this is us, the the tourists offering you strategic advice on how to plan your your factory. So take everything with a gigantic grain of salt.
1: I hear one of the ways, uh, you know, again as a tourist, I've never done this myself, but one of the ways. That people handle that is there is a whole system of circuits in this game and mm-hmm. different logic gate kind of things where you can say um, what they eventually do is like you have your pipeline backed up and you produce your crude petroleum comes in and produces like um, petroleum gas and heavy and light oil um, and those are all used for different things but if you have say too much heavy oil right now you, your tr- sensors will read that and they'll trigger a factory to start using heavy oil to produce some hmm. of the other things that you aren't using. And again, once it's all automated, you don't have to care about it. And hmm. everything, you, your efficiency just goes another step upward.
0: Yeah, I think the, the later game aspects of keeping your factory in tip-top shape largely are going to evolve around efficiency. Like from where I am in the game, it's mostly about throughput. Like how can I ensure that um, my factory is at least just making this most complicated thing that I'm trying to get it to make right now? How can I Mm -hmm. tinker with all of the antecedents in the process to ensure that I'm at least getting something out of this gigantic sprawling mess? Um, And then as you get more sophisticated with your planning and creation of your your process efficiency starts to work into that. Like, how can I ensure that I'm not wasting any time with any individual uh, creation aspect in this process chain?
1: Or wasting any space, because as your base gets larger, you and you add more, little like, here's a little secret tunnel behind this factory. Hmm. You kind of lose flexibility for later on when you get hit with the unexpected uh, new thing you got to design.
0: Right. Like, for example, you are only ever given access to inserters, basically arms that grab things and put them into creation aspects that can go out two uh, squares, right? And you need, uh, initially, when you only have four different inputs going into a lab, uh, which can be held on basically two conveyor belts, if you have, you know, uh, each conveyor belt containing two of the different flasks, all of a sudden the game's like, now there's seven that are needed, uh, that is one and a half more spaces than your grabber-inserter arms have access to. Hmm. So how do you handle this? Um, and that is kind of the the question that I am sort of wrestling with right now. Um, there are a lot of different ways to handle the, the lab insertion or lab delivery problem, but um, suffice it to say, it's a cool thing to see how all the people on the Internet have solved this problem over the years and, you know, which solution best fits into your basis configuration
1: hmm. you know as we're sitting here talking i just realized like i have all these beakers being backed up because i produce tons of them right now and i don't need all of them for the different researches i'm doing or it's being produced faster than that i should even just uh store it stash that stuff throw it in a throw it in a box and put a little circuit guy on it that says When this belt is empty, when the input belt is empty, throw something out of the box onto this belt that feeds back into the input belt. I mean, Hmm. my goodness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then like, basically you can take, uh, well, (laughs) we're going to go down a rabbit hole here, but, (laughs) um, yeah, you can, you can also then set up like a drone to deliver, um, items into that box so that now that aspect of the supply chain has been removed from needing to be on the belt
1: yeah that's the that's one of the big benefits of drones is they remove a lot of the space considerations
0: yeah so there's just uh there's a ton going on here with the the infrastructure that you build and how it all um you know works from the very basics and core elements that you're pulling out of the planet and pissing off the aliens about into uh the very complicated things you need to make a rocket and eventually escape this stink place hmm. and what easier way to do that than with a couple of friends
1: Right? Uh, There are people, (laughs) obviously, this is a very nerdy game, and there are people who nerd out hard about it. I have a lot of respect for them. uh, And they'll share blueprints with each other, but you can also join each other's worlds and create a factory together. I've heard about people who... um, they each take on like a specific role within the factorial factory they're building. One person's going to do the energy, another person's going to manage the fluids, another person's going to manage defense, and oh, cool. <laughs> you can just really, when you only have that one thing to focus on, obviously people specialize. They can, they can get much better at that one thing.
0: Oh man, that sounds so cool! Like I can imagine starting up like a like a very difficult game with like. Um, you know, four or five friends and just saying like, all right, I'm going to be sort of the, this, this guy's going to be the overseer guy who's sort of doing the mass planning of the base. And he's basically going to just put out like contracts to each of these people to say like, all right, now (laughs) you build, now you build, we need additional coal coming in right here ASAP. So train Hmm. guy, go build us a a railway system. That's going to get that coal in, um, And Defense Guy, make sure that shit doesn't get attacked by all the biters. And yeah, it it sounds really fun. Like the multiplayer aspect here. And I wish we had gotten a chance to check it out. I know we were just going to like visit each other's factories and poke holes in it or something. But um, that cooperative aspect also sounds really fun.
1: Now, there's a couple of different game modes in multiplayer, too. There's the kind of peaceful, cooperative one. There's a couple of PvP modes, too, where you try to build your factory and destroy the other person's factory. Um, and then there's also a couple of kind of like um, production games you play where everybody's uh, each team is on an island or something like that, and uh, every so often a new objective flashes, like produce 500 plates of copper, and whoever gets to that first win, or whoever produces the most copper gets the points for that round. And you have to adjust what your factory is going for. So there's a lot of meat out there for people who, for whom the single player Factorio is not enough.
0: I can't even imagine that being a thing, but I'll take your word for it. (laughs) (laughs) With that, why don't we do a few three-word reviews.
1: All right, this game is a big thumbs up for me, um, and as Brian did a couple uh, podcasts ago, I have three three-word reviews for this one. Uh, I'm going. I'm sticking with my final one, but just as my uh, as my thought process, my first one is programming the game. There's a lot of programmers I know out there, me being one myself, that say this game scratches a lot of the same itches that uh programming does for people who enjoy it you've got to refactor your factory you've got to rearrange it to be more efficient um you've got to do trade-offs between space and time and efficiency um you've got you can figure out cool new ways when you figure out a cool hack you feel like you're a wizard you got to deal with uncertainty bugs attack you all the time uh so that was originally going to be my three-word review After that, I was thinking my next one was going to be consume the world. Because that's what you do with your factory, it sprawls the continent. There's people who try to see, like, what is the most, I don't know, iron I can produce in this (laughs) game before it breaks. But, what my final three-word review for this is... Start with nothing. Because every time I play this game, I'm struck by the fact That you start off and you got nothing in your inventory and you got to walk over to a little hill of rocks and click on there for a few times and then you have a rock and then you've got to do that enough. You start with that, you build the thing, it gives you another thing, it lets you become more efficient, you keep building from another thing to another thing and eventually you have that whole world spanning, world destroying metropolis
0: My three-word review is Robotic Rabbit Hole. Uh, Factorio is a game that is surprisingly easy to pick up. Uh, Very surprising indeed, given how it presents itself and the complexity that's possible within its play space. Uh, This is kind of the definition of Atari's Nolan Bushnell's Law. All the best games are easy to learn and difficult to master. They should reward the first quarter and the hundredth. The quarter in this case is an hour or so, but if you do decide to commit to those subsequent several dozen hours, you'll find a rabbit hole of new mechanics and even more novel ways that those mechanics interact with each other. It's definitely a rabbit hole worth going down in my opinion, and if you give this game that first hour, you'll probably end up going down it for a few hours yourself. So, Robotic Rabbit Hole is my three-word review. Huge thumbs up from me. Uh, I think I'm going to definitely keep on going until I launch that fucking rocket. (laughs)
1: Get to the end. You're this close.
0: I mean, if anything makes me want to build a rocket and get off the planet, it is 2020, so I am channeling that (laughs) into my Factorio gameplay. Uh, And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skircha. I'm Josh Galecki. Take care and keep on automating. How can we automate podcasting
1: what we could do is use amazon's mechanical turk
0: I was actually just thinking about having a grabber arm or an inserter that takes beers from the fridge and puts them in my face
1: I mean sounds like a great way <laughs> you could train <laughs> to do that probably
0: I'll have to get on that <laughs> I need a quarantine project new quarantine project train the dog to retrieve beer
1: there you go there you go
0: and then train him to edit podcasts <laughs> Good boy, good boy.